the last uh, chapter of Ecclesiastes. And then we turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 8. Our text this morning will be from the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, where we read the, the conclusion in order to, to put this, the, the beginning, which is really, you can say, the summary uh, of the book. Uh, and then we need to look at that summary in light of also the conclusion. But we read together the entire uh, chapter. The first part uh, speaks about when one gets old and one gets elderly and the body becomes frail and begins to shut down. And that way this, the teacher also speaks about the futility or the meaninglessness of this life as we see that life also slowly going towards its, its end, and that end is, is death. And then he concludes uh, with, uh, with words of encouragement at the end of this chapter. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, read God's word, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders seize because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And when, and when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught to the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are written by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. At the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then we turn to the New Testament, to the, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading at verse 18, and read to the end of verse 25, Romans 8, verse 18. Paul writes, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So far, our reading from God's holy word. Let us sing together in response to the word of God, the words of Psalm 39. This morning we find our scripture reading, our text from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The first 11 verses of this chapter. So Ecclesiastes 1. We'll read those words together. Begin at verse 1 to read God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So far, our reading of God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ecclesiastes is one of those more difficult books in the Bible. Difficult also because it's somewhat quite different from the other books that you read. And yet at the same time, it's also a book to which people are drawn. And we're drawn to this book because we can also relate to much of the things that the preacher is telling us. On one hand, it's a rather dark book. It speaks to us about the weariness of this life. And we know that in the lives of all men, of all people, there are struggles, there are troubles, there are difficulties. And as we go through those struggles and those troubles of life, they make us weary, they make us tired. 
And that's why I think so many people can also relate to, to what the preacher is writing here in this particular book. And as we read through the book, we then also get a sense that, this, that his dark outlook on life is in deep contrast to much of the rest of the scriptures. And we read the other parts of the scriptures, there's more hope given, whereas in this particular book, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope. And that's why the Jews already long ago questioned whether this book should indeed even be included within the canon of, of scriptures. It doesn't really seem to fit with some of the other books in the Bible. And even among early Christian scholars in, in the early church, there was a tendency to, to allegorize the text in order that you might be able to give it more of a positive meaning. Also, first we, we notice as we read the book that this book deals with the darker aspects of life. The teacher says he looks at life as it's being lived under the sun up there in the sky. And when he looks at life under the sun, all he sees is futility and meaninglessness of life. He sees the, the endless and the meaningless cycle of everything. And he asks himself, so, so where does it all lead? And his answer is, it all leads to the same end. It leads to death. And so we can say that he is writing about life under the curse of God. He described life as it is ever since the fall of man into sin back in Genesis chapter 3. But that's also one of the reasons, I think, why people are drawn to, to this particular book. It's why we can relate to what he writes, because we experience the same things as the preacher is experiencing in his life. We, too, often feel the weariness of this life and its seemingly endless cycles. And so he touches on something that we can indeed relate to. Now, while the, the book itself gives a, a, somber, a somber view of life, yet it ends, at the very end, which we read in chapter 12, it ends on a note of hope. Right in the last two verses of this book, there shines, you can say, a brilliant ray of light. And therefore, the preacher is, is sharing with us his experiences about life. And at the end of the book, he directs us to the lasting hope that we have in the Lord our God. And so here in the midst of the darkness of this world, which we can say we lie, which lies under the curse of God, there at the end there then also shines forth this ray of light. The meaningless cycle of this life is being broken. How? Being broken by God's work of redemption and His work of salvation. And so this morning I may proclaim to you God's word under this theme. The theme then is the meaningless cycle of life is broken. By God's work of redemption. Our theme then, the meaningless cycle of life is broken by God's work of redemption. Under that theme, we're going to look at two things. First of all, we look at life under the sun, S-U-N, the sun that's up in the sky. And secondly, we'll look at life under the sun, referring then to the son of God, who is Jesus Christ. The book begins with the conclusion that the preacher has come to after he's examined the meaning of life. Now that, beloved, I think that's the big question that all of mankind is dealing with. It's one of the questions that all religions are trying to, to explain. No matter what religion, they're trying to give a meaning to life here under the sun, life here on this earth. 
You know that even today, scientists who are trying to understand the, the beginnings of this, of this universe, the one, answer, the one question they can never answer, they may talk about evolution, they may try to talk about all these different theories they have about how the world came into being, but the one thing that they can never give an answer to is, so what's the meaning of it all? What's the purpose for what we find here on the earth, what we find here in the universe. And so even the scientists who, who think that through their scientific methods they can come up with the answers, they are just as stuck as the preacher is. And the preacher comes to the conclusion, as all mankind must come to the same conclusion, meaningless, 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 utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. In other words, he says, there is absolutely no doubt about Things when we look at it, when we look at what things are going on in this life, there's no doubt that everything is meaningless. There's absolutely nothing that we can find in, on this earth that gives us an idea of why are we here. Notice that at the beginning of, this, of, of the book, he uses a number of superlatives, which he actually repeats. Twice he literally says meaninglessness of meaninglessnesses. It's a rather difficult expression to be able to say. And so another translation such as the ESV has vanity of vanities. But vanity of vanities should not be understood in the old English as, or in, 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 in the modern English to today as self-pride. In other words, vanity of vanities meaning that that we have this, this pride of our own things. No, it's the idea of meaningless. And so he adds, everything is meaningless to make clear that he has not seen anything whatsoever in this life that has any meaning or that has any purpose at all. And so you can actually say then that his view on life seems to be totally pessimistic. He simply says, you know what, there's absolutely no hope at the end uh, of anything in this world. And then he explains why. Why he's come to that dark conclusion. He says, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Now, important here is the phrase under the sun. It's a phrase that will be repeated more often in, uh, in this particular book. It shows it's important. Because with these words, the teacher wants to restrict. He wants to limit the scope of his inquiry. He says, I'm restricting my research to life under the sun. In other words, he's saying, I'm not able to transcend this world into heaven where the Almighty God lives. No, everything outside of this world lies outside of his ability to be able to research it and to study it. And so it's important that we then also realize that his observations are restricted to what he sees here on this earth under the sun. And what he sees on this earth is that everything is meaningless. Now his conclusions shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us. In a certain sense, we can relate to what he says. And yet at the same time, I think we all feel there's something wrong with his conclusion. You can even say for the sake of our own mental sanity, we feel like we need to find something positive. We need to have something that we can feel good about here in this life. 
And so we find that, that people everywhere, they're, they're trying to find good and they're trying to discover a purpose or to make it a purpose uh, for their own life in this world. Perhaps you notice in, in, the, in the world of politics, we've just recently gone through uh, an election here in the province of Ontario. You hear politicians, especially those in opposition, who talk about how terrible things are in the world and how terrible things are in, in, in the province. But you know, they don't stop then uh, at that particular point. They go on, and what they do is they then promise that they're going to fix it. They're going to make the world, they're going to make the province into a better place. So why do they give that message? Because they know that people need a message of optimism for the future. After all, we also live in a world where there's so much darkness and trouble. Right? We live in a world where, you can say, full of terror. There's hatred among people everywhere in the world, and we see evil people who are killing innocent people, and they will slaughter them without thinking twice about what they're doing. And we, people will shudder at the fact that that can possibly happen. And people need to hear also then a message, no, we're going to win over against those terrorists. We're going to make this world into a, a better place. Why? Because we all are looking for a place where there's peace and, and where we can have, be able to enjoy uh, life under the sun. Now, I'm not, suggestion here, I'm not suggesting here this morning uh, that we should be pessimistic about life. We also know that mankind just cannot exist in the world where, where there is no hope. In order to be able to, for mankind to go on, they need to create hope. They need to have a sense of purpose, a reason for life on this earth. But the point is this. When we examine the purpose of this life, only from that which we can observe under the sun, beloved, it always leads us back to the same conclusion. And that is that everything is meaningless. Meaningless. Yes, why? It's because ever since the fall into sin, the, the fall into sin, the world is now under the curse of God. And as long as the world lies under the curse of God, there is no meaning, and we have absolutely no purpose here in this world. And that means that the teacher's assessment is an absolutely accurate one. It is indeed as bad as it seems. The world is indeed, you can say, a grim place. And so when he takes a look at the world, then he asks this question at the beginning of the text. He says, what does a man gain? What does a man profit from all of his labor and his work at which he toils under the sun? You see, the answer is so obvious. He doesn't need to answer the answer is simply there, a man profits nothing from all the toil and all the labor that he does. Oh, if a person works hard his whole life. You ask, what does it gain him? Why? Because in the end, he dies. When he dies, what happens? He leaves everything that he's ever worked for so hard, he leaves it behind. He can't enjoy, even enjoy it. And then he concludes with these words. He says, generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. There he makes this contrast between the earth that has continued on in existence already for ages. Contrasts that with human beings whose lives are so transitory and fleeting here on this earth. Well, one generation arises and then dies only to be followed by another, another generation who, who also in turn die. 
What's the purpose? What's the meaning of all of that? What's the ultimate value in seeing generation after generation die and people no longer have any connections with the earth and all those ties that we have with people here on the earth are broken? Is that not completely futile and meaningless? And so what if we can help the next generation as that's really the, the only purpose and motive that people have in our society today is to help the next generation that they might enjoy a better place. They might enjoy more material uh, things and enjoy the more, more of, of, of the things that, the, that this world is able to offer them. When perhaps they might have more money, they might have more riches, they might be able to travel more than their previous generation. But what is the value if they also in turn are going to die? Is that our only purpose? To give a better life to the next generation? If that is all there is to life, that means, beloved, that life is actually meaningless and it's empty. The teacher also sees an endless cycle of activity taking place in the world. And he says it doesn't seem to lead us anywhere. The world that seems to be stuck in this holding pattern and without moving forward to any meaningless goal or any meaningful goal. He says, you know, take a look at the sun. You see the sun up in the sky? Well, you don't see it today, of course, because of the rain. Uh, but it's, we know that every morning the sun rises up in the east and every evening it sets again there in the west in the evening. And so he says, it just seems like the sun is just hurrying up from getting, going up, and then going back down. And the days, he says, continues on in that endless cycle, but it doesn't seem to be moving towards any meaningful goal. Day follows day follows day, and where are we going? And he says, and look at the wind. Blows to the south, and it turns to the north. Round and around it goes. The wind simply circles the earth in this endless merry-go-round. But what does it really achieve? And take a look at the streams. Streams that they all flow back into the sea. And although all the rivers on the earth, they all flow back into the sea, the sea is never full. Why? Because the water returns to the land and it returns to the streams as it evaporates from the sea and then it falls down like rain like we're seeing happening right now. And the streams overflow and they all go back to the ocean, but the ocean doesn't fill up. Again, the preacher says, it's meaningless, a meaningless cycle. And then he concludes in verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome, more than one can say or more than one can utter. Teacher notices how the endless cycle of life wearies a man or a woman more, he says, than one can say or utter. In other words, he says this weariness exceeds our human ability to even be able to describe it with our words. Now, I think the preacher, he's an older man, probably gray-haired. He has seen a lot in life. So he probably looks at life a little different than you do who are young. Maybe still teenagers. You know, young people don't always maybe yet feel this weariness of life. 
Young people, you may still have this idealistic outlook upon, upon life. You may still have all these kinds of dreams for your life. You still have a purpose. You have an idea of what you want to accomplish, what you want to, want to achieve. And that's a good thing. But we also know what happens as people get older. And as we go on in life, the reality is that we begin to face the reality that life isn't so easy. That there are problems, that there are burdens that we have to face in life. You know, you get married and, and everything seems to be so, so great and, and you're looking forward to, to having a, a happy and a, and, a, and a great life together as husband and wife with this great family. But then you have these young little children running around and you realize how much hard work that is and how difficult it can be. And you get the stresses that come as a result of that. Or you may have found this ideal job and you have this wonderful work and the next thing you know is things fall apart because things aren't going well at work because of relations or because of things at work itself. Or maybe that suddenly you're, you, know, you have to deal with the fact that you have a family that you need to support and, and there's all these bills that need to be paid and you're struggling to be able to pay them. And as you get on in years, you begin to have some health concerns and they're stopping you from doing some of the things that, that you really enjoy doing. And so as you're confronted with these difficulties, these realities of life, a weariness of life begins to creep in. And as people become more aged, they become frail. And there comes a point where the frailty reaches that, that, that at that point in their life where, where people say, you know what, I just wish the Lord would, would take me out of this life. They're tired. They're tired of this life. And they just want to go be with the Lord. It's this weariness that also causes people at times to want to commit suicide. Because they cannot bear to continue with this life anymore. And by the way, that isn't only for, for, for those who might be poor and who might be struggling with financial things. Recently, we've also heard high-profile people who've committed suicide. People who, who have lots of money, who have fame, who are seen to be doing well. They too are dealing with a weariness of life. And so the struggles and the burdens of life under the sun can become too heavy, can become too difficult to bear. And the preacher says, I've seen it all. I've seen it all in my lifetime. And then he continues on to talk about the futility of life in verse 8 when he points out, he says, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Right? We, we see so much with our eyes, we hear so much with our ears, that there always seems to be more and more to, to hear. Perhaps many of you have something like this. We call it a phone, but it's not just a regular phone. We call it now a smartphone. Why is it called a smartphone? It's because you have almost the whole world at your fingertips. When you watch people going about their daily activities, you see them have this phone and they're all staring at this phone. Don't see anything else going around the world. Why? Because they're interacting with other people in other places of the world. There's so much to hear, so much to see. I think that the preacher couldn't even imagine what we are able to do today, how much we're able to hear and see on our smartphones. It's not necessarily that it's a good thing, because it also is, can be detrimental to our lives, also to the lives of our children. But the reality is that the eyes and the ears never have enough. 
Right, also our smartphones. People never want to put them down. They almost get addicted to it. We need more and more of it. It becomes hard to take it away from your children because of the things they want to do on them. And so our ears and our eyes are never satisfied. We always want more. And then in verse 9, he examines the history of this world. And he sees in history there too an endless cycle. He says, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. I know the teacher doesn't mean that there is no progress going on in his life. We know that man has invented new things and continues to invent new things. You think of the progress that has taken place, the changes that have taken place over the last hundred years. It just boggles the mind. Right? This here is just a symbol of that. I think many of our parents and our grandparents and our grandparents who came here and immigrated to this country, when they came, they had to get on a ship. And they were certain that they would never, ever see their parents and their family ever again when they came to this continent. Not realizing that some 70, 75, 80 years later, you can have one of the little gadgets in your hand and you can talk to somebody face to face. This incredible progress that would boggle the mind of our forefathers, even 70, 80 years ago. And so you think how progress continues, and it only seems to be faster in our society today. And yet, there's still that expression that is still so very true. As much as things change, they stay, they stay the same. So the teacher is talking here about human life as he says, as he speaks his words. And he says, when it comes to human life, he says, you know, there's absolutely nothing new. There are times that we come across something we think, oh, that's a new idea. But when you look back, you can only see it's only a variation of an old idea. You may remember when our prime minister became the, the, the prime minister a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. And he was talking about the new values that he's going to bring to this country. We know that those are so-called progressive values. And there's a certain point, he says, well, don't you know we live, I forget what year it was, we were living, let's say, 2014 or 15. Other words saying, no, you know, we're in a new time, we have new ideas, we have better ideas. But yet, when you really examine where those ideas are going, where our society is going today, the progressive agenda is going back to the past pagan ideas. Going back to the very things that the prophets in the Old Testament warned about. Going back to the very thing that the apostles were warning about as they were preaching the gospel there in the early Testament days. Our society is not finding anything new. They're not going down a new path. They're going back down the old pagan ways. The reality, beloved, is that people never make any progress in their understanding about life under the sun. And finally, he says, life is futile and empty, for there is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. You know, today the ultimate goal that every man dreams of, every person dreams of, is making a name for him or herself. A name that will be remembered for generations to come. 
Right? We have presidents who want to make a legacy because they want future generations to remember the great deeds that they have done. That seems to be the ultimate goal that mankind is striving for. And yet the preacher says, you know, the reality is that once a man or a woman dies, no matter how powerful, how famous, no matter what great things they may have done, their legacy is quickly forgotten. Even that goal, he says, is completely elusive. How meaningless life really is. There's nothing permanent in this life. Everything is transient. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. And so he sees a a whirlwind of activity, but it leads nowhere. It's like this endless cycle that is making absolutely no progress. Men come, and they die, and he says, and what in the end have they achieved? Now, it's been suggested uh, that, that the preacher was living in Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem he is thinking through the situation there in Israel. It's possible that that as he's sitting in the city, he sees the sun rise in the morning, he sees it set every evening again, endlessly. The winds, he sees the winds, or he feels the winds blowing, and continually blowing. And he sees the streams flowing into the ocean when when the rains do come on the land. But he sits in the city and says, but... What's the purpose of all of that? Where's this all going? Where's the progress? He sees all the kings from David's family come from one king after the other. They come and they sit on David's throne in Israel. But where's it going? And then there comes a point where, where the people are taken into exile in Babylon. And then there's a, a small remnant who, who return back to Jerusalem. But where is it all leading? The people of Israel. You know, that goal of the Messiah, the goal of the Redeemer King, who's going to come, seems to be so far off. Israel cannot see any progress towards the fulfillment of that promise. And it may very well be that the teacher is struggling here with God's promise because he doesn't see any progress. And here, beloved, the same danger exists for us as New Testament believers We know that generation come and generation go already for the past 2,000 years since Christ. The history of the world, it continues. There is so much activity. But we do not seem to be moving any closer to the day of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is also possible for us as believers that we become pessimistic about the future because it appears to us as if the day of Christ's coming is not coming any closer very quickly. And as God's children, we suffer the hardships and we deal with the struggles of life. We see the darkness of life all around us. We are faced with pain and we are dealing with sorrow and ultimately we all have to deal with death. And so we see and experience the darkness so that life can make us weary and it can make us so tired. Well, it's then, beloved, that we need to keep in mind that we do not just live under the sun up in the sky, but that today we already live under the sun, who is the very Son of God. Now, when we look at this text, you cannot separate it uh, from the overall message of the book. 
While this text reveals the horrible situation into which the world has fallen under the very curse of God, yet the purpose of this book is not to leave us without hope. The book, indeed, it reveals the meaninglessness of life. It helps us to understand a little bit about the weariness that we often experience in our lives, even as God's people. And so what's the preacher really saying to us? The preacher is warning us here, beloved, don't think it's so strange. Don't think it's so strange when you find it difficult to face life. It's not so strange when you may be feeling depressed. It's not so strange when there are brothers and sisters who are dealing with depression in their lives. That's the reality. We live in a dark world. And we often feel tired. And we feel weary. Don't be surprised when there may also be times that you may feel hopeless. Don't be surprised when there are times you're going to struggle with trying to understand the meaning of life. And when everything in your life at certain points may seem to be meaningless. It's part of our struggle, also as God's people. Life under the sun there in the sky, beloved, is a real struggle. Struggle. Not only struggle for unbelievers, not just a struggle for people out there. Beloved, it is a struggle even for God's very own people. And we need to come to understand and to realize that we too struggle with these things. But Ecclesiastes teaches us that this is not the end of the matter. Because as much as life may feel like an endless cycle of futility and meaninglessness, well, the Lord has come to break that futile cycle, and He does that through His work of redemption. And that's why the book then also ends with the conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Well, beloved, we just don't understand all God's ways. We often wonder, we have questions about God's ways. We often become weary as a result of what seems to be endless toil. Life can seem so empty. But the book concludes with these words, two words, important words, fear God, fear God. Why? Because the Lord God is breaking through the meaningless cycles of this life through His promise of redemption. Redemption and salvation, beloved, that is God's goal for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And therefore, God's people already in the Old Testament, they can go on. God is revealing that life is not futile, it is not empty. Why? Because salvation waits each generation that appears here on this earth. And so generation may indeed follow generation, but each genera- for each generation there is this promise and there is this hope of eternal life and salvation. You find that beautiful connection uh, to Ecclesiastes by the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 8. Paul in Romans 8 speaks about our present suffering and about the creation that was subjected to frustration. And the word frustration in, in chapter 8, verse 20 of Romans, it's the same word that's used in the, in, the, in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. 
So the, the Septuagint uses the same word for meaningless that you find in our text in Ecclesiastes. And so the same Greek word as used in our text Ecclesiastes is used by Paul when he talks about frustration in Romans chapter 8. And so what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying that the world was subjected to frustration, or you can say it was subjected to meaninglessness. But Paul goes beyond that which the teacher reveals in our text. Paul says, he says that this creation that was subject to frustration, it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So he knows all of creation groans. And that also includes us, beloved, as children of God. We too, we groan together with all of creation for the day that we may receive redemption. Today we receive this, this great hope. Today, beloved, you may live under the Son of God who has subjected himself to the futility of this world. And here we need to keep in mind something very important, and that is the Lord Jesus has experienced. He has experienced the futility, and he's experienced the frustration of, the, of this life. When he came to this world and he lived life under the sun. The Lord Jesus knows full, uh, firsthand the suffering, the hardships that we experience. Beloved, he knows the toil of this life. He knows how it makes us weary because he has felt that weariness himself. In fact, you can say that he experienced that weariness and that meaninglessness and that frustration of this life in a much deeper sense than we ever will. For when he came, he, he came to suffer that frustration to the fullest extent. Right? He gave his very own life on the cross where he was rejected. He was deserted, abandoned, forsaken by his Father in heaven. There on the cross, the Lord Jesus experienced the frustration of the world that lay under the curse of God. He experienced it in a way that the preacher could never begin to experience it. Well, the preacher has described the darkness of living under the curse of God. But beloved, his words do not even come close to the darkness that the Lord Jesus suffered when he was nailed to the cross. You need to ask, so why? Did the Lord Jesus endure that darkness? Well, Paul says in Romans 8, He did that in order to liberate us and to liberate all of creation from its bondage to decay and to bring it into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You see, that which the Lord Jesus has done is He's restored meaning again to our life. The endless cycles of life that was leading mankind nowhere has been broken by the very Son of God. Redemption, salvation in Jesus Christ has restored hope for God's people. For there awaits for us that glorious goal of eternal life with the Lord. For everyone who lives under the Son of God by faith, beloved, there is this renewed optimism because we know that there awaits for us a glorious future. And although we may often become weary and tired because of the toil and the troubles of this life, yet we can continue on renewed in the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus, in the end, when he faced death, the Lord Jesus conquered the greatest fear of the preacher. The greatest fear was death because everything ended up there in death. Everything in life 
seems to end in that place. But Christ, beloved, came and he conquered death so that he might give to us life. And therefore, for the Christian, for the believer, uh, for the child who trusts God, the fear and the bondage of death has been overcome, for death is no longer the end of everything. Today, beloved, we may confess that our death is an entrance into the very presence of our eternal God. Do you believe? Do you trust that promise of your Lord? Well, then let all God's people say, Amen. Can we say that together, beloved? Amen. Let us respond by singing together. From Psalm 39, stanzas 4, 5, and, uh, and 6. Psalm 39, 4, 5, and 6.